Listener Production. Everybody needs good neighbors. Oh, that beautiful music full of nostalgia. So sad to know that this week will be the last time the cameras are rolling on Ramsey Street. Yep, the show that's been going for 38 years will come to an end. The UK broadcasting partner has pulled the pin on Neighbours, which means it's no longer viable. And look, there are so many questions to ask as we all grapple with a pillar of our childhoods crumbling away. And who better to talk about it than Toadie? Yes, in this episode of The Briefing, I'm interviewing Ryan Maloney, a.k.a. The Toadster. Come on, Steph, I'm a bogan. I'm a beer-drinking, pizza-loving, footy-watching bogan. Yeah, you're also a lawyer. Well, then I rest my case. Yes, Ryan Maloney here on The Briefing, getting very candid, almost um, it's a, almost a little bit teary about the end of Neighbours. It's been a huge part of his life. He also gives a very interesting idea on where his career could go next. Might actually come as a bit of a shock for Alf Stewart. Anyway, that's in the second half of the show. First, here are the headlines with Jan Fran. It is Friday the 10th of June. We are starting this morning with an Australian first. So the ACT government has passed a bill that'll no longer make it a criminal offence to possess small quantities of certain drugs, including ice, cocaine and heroin. We know that criminalising drug users does not reduce drug use. It only creates further harm. So that's the ACT Health Minister, Rachel Stephen-Smith. So now um, those small quantities of drugs will be confiscated and people will be issued with a fine or directed to drug diversion services rather than charged. Yeah, it's unclear at this point exactly what the amounts of which particular drugs are. That's still yet to be um, nutted out. I know that last year there was a Senate Estimates um, hearing in October where the AFP Commissioner, Rhys Kershaw, said that this might actually increase use of certain drugs. It might make it easier for organised crime gangs to infiltrate the area and maybe make it harder to combat the rise of um, cocaine, meth and heroin in particular. I will say the ACT is also the first and only jurisdiction in Australia to legalise the personal use of cannabis. Now, that came into effect in 2020. So they've got, I suppose, a bit of a template to kind of try and work out, okay, well, what happens when you decriminalise or legalise drugs? Do people use them more? Does it flood the market? There's a little bit of evidence there. It's fledgling, but it's there. Yeah, and this is following um, what's been happening in Portugal over the years, which has sort of been held up as a a leading example of how to, I guess, progress drug policy. Um, The other thing they're doing in the ACT, which is really interesting, is expanding their pill testing trial. So they had um, done it at a music festival. They're about to open this site where you can go in Canberra. Um, this will be going for six months where you can go and have your drugs tested to find out if they're, they're containing any harmful substances you weren't expecting to be in there or if the dose is much higher than expected as well. Again, this is something that happens in a number of European countries. Um, I've done lots of stories on this over the years. So it's really interesting to see the ACT leading the way like some of the more progressive countries in Europe. Mm. And it, it could provide an, also just an interesting kind of test case for the rest of Australia as well. The ACT is a relatively small jurisdiction in Australia. So if this trial goes well or if, if, if the bill is passed and, and all goes well, it might be something that ends up being repeated in other states and territories. I mean, that's well further down the line, but, you know, it's a start. Two British men and a Moroccan 
uh, who were captured while fighting for Ukraine in Mariupol have been sentenced to death by firing squad. Yeah, so a court, um, this is in the Russian-controlled East Ukraine, convicted the three men on charges of terrorism. Now, it's believed that Russia's using this process to sort of put pressure on the UK and and could possibly seek a prisoner exchange um, for Russian soldiers that have been convicted of murder or other war crimes as well. Yeah, so the UK Foreign Secretary Liz Truss tweeted that the men are prisoners of war This is a sham judgment with absolutely no legitimacy. My thoughts are with the families. We continue to do everything we can to support them. Yeah, so the death penalty is actually, there's a moratorium on on the death penalty in Russia. So that's been there since the late 90s. But this judgment didn't actually take place in Russia. It took place in eastern Ukraine, which is kind of Russian controlled. So it's provided a little bit of a loophole for the Russians to go ahead and do this kind of stuff, even though they don't technically do it in their own country. Yeah, and I guess, Jan, this is like another test for the West of, of Russia almost crossing some kind of red line. Um, mm. And so far, the West have stayed out of this conflict. Now they're potentially killing some of their citizens by firing squad. If this does go ahead, you know, it could just be, as, as you mentioned earlier, just a sort of a play to get a prisoner swap. But there's so many things Russia have done in this conflict that are so egregious, yet you know, it's still not worth it for the West to engage directly with them. To tech slash extremely rich person news, Elon Musk, hey, he's getting his wish. Twitter's going to give him the raw data that he's requested, uh, raw data from more than 500 million tweets posted every day. Yeah, so this is all about him trying to get a real sense of how many of the accounts are fake on Twitter. So he's threatened to walk away from his $61 billion deal to buy Twitter, um, saying he doesn't know how many accounts are fake. So Twitter have always said that there are less than 5% fake accounts, but Musk is saying that he thinks at least 20% of them, he said that in a recent tweet, are automated or not run by humans. Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's probably right to want that data. I think everyone wants to know exactly how many users on that platform are bots because it seems to me like it's 99%. I could be wrong. I have no evidence for that statistic that I just um, put it's out there. Number. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, advertisers rely on sort of user numbers to determine how to spend money. And knowing how many accounts are fake is... You know, it's, it's crucial to social media companies. So I'm not at all surprised that, um, that he wants that information. It's disclosed its bot estimates to the US Securities and Exchange Commission. This is Twitter. Um, it's told them what the estimate is for years. But again, Elon just reckons it might be too low wants that raw data in front of him. Some people are saying that this is him just wanting to get out of the deal as well, that maybe he overshot the value of Twitter and wants to bail out. And this will be a reason to, to do that. All right, Jan, we're going to catch you in a special Queen's Birthday episode on Monday, but in just a moment, I'm going to talk to Toadie. Neighbors. Everybody needs good neighbors. All right, let's do it. Let's just drown ourselves in the nostalgia of Neighbours and its very sad ending. Cannot believe they made more than 9,000 episodes over 38 years. Now, it started to sort of trail off in popularity about 10 years ago. Network 10 moved it onto their second channel. It was still popular in the UK on Channel 5, but 
Just recently, the British network pulled the pin saying they wanted to spend the money, um, and it's quite expensive when you're making over 200 episodes a year, they wanted to spend that money on UK productions. So the final episode will be on your TV in August. It means about 200 people employed by the show are going to be looking for work, and one of them is Toadie. Yeah, one of the show's longest-running and most popular characters, played by Ryan Maloney. And just before we talk to Ryan... I just wanted to ask one of Australia's best-known TV writers, Andrew Mercado, why it had to come to an end. Andrew, with all the streaming platforms competing for content these days, why wasn't there someone that could keep Neighbours alive and reinvent it for the streaming era? Well, that's absolutely true. We're making more TV drama now than ever before in history. And I would imagine that the the love and the outpouring that's going to come when Neighbours comes to an end is going to make some streamer look at it and go, wow, you can't buy that sort of loyalty. But the simple reason that the show is coming to an end is that Channel 5 in the UK has been dropping about $120 million in Australia every year to make Neighbours and it screens once in the UK and, and that's it. And they want to use that money to make British drama instead that they can sell around the world and make a profit on. So unfortunately, because of that production model, uh, the Brits can't see the point in spending all this money in Australia anymore. And how do you feel about it ending? I think it's really sad because I think that Neighbours over the past few years has been at the top of its game production-wise. And I also think they've done an incredible job with diversity. It took them a while to catch on, but they really have made that show diverse. They've made it multicultural and they've made that show multisexual. And it will leave the air at the top of its game and have a look at what's left behind on Home and Away. They're still living in this kind of white, heteronormative world, and Neighbours has shown them that there is a place where you can be more inclusive, and you shouldn't be scared of it because it actually gives you more exciting Mm. storylines and characters for the future. That was Andrew Mercado, TV writer. And speaking of top of his game, that is where Ryan Maloney is at, the actor who kept Toadie on our screen since 1993, He's here to speak to us on the briefing. Ryan, thanks so much for doing this. How are you feeling about the end of Neighbours? Are you emotional, sick of talking about it, happy it's over, completely lost as a human being? How are you doing? (laughs) I'm really bored just kind of waiting in the doll line right now. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, it's everything. It's literally every kind of emotion and you just got to let it all wash over you and just kind of be grateful that you actually kind of get to experience all these type of emotions. Like currently we've got three more days of shooting left and the way that it all works is that over the last month people have been slowly leaving. Yesterday was our last day uh, shooting on location and it was also our last day shooting on Ramsey Street. So that was, you know, quite a, a little moment where, you know, you're kind of even seeing sound recorders and, you know, the crew just kind of, having a little tear in their eye and just appreciating the relationships that we've all had over so long. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so different to any other job because, I mean, like what most people say when they come on to Neighbours is they say that just the, the camaraderie and the friendships with the crew are just the main thing, you know, that, that is about Neighbours. Those relationships have been going for, you know, for years. Some of them have been there since the start. Have you shed a tear? Yeah, yeah, I've had a couple. Yeah, a couple of quite little moments. Um, yeah. And also at the same time, you know, you, you're just kind of really grateful that you've been able to ex- actually experience all this. And this is stuff that people go through 
regularly when, um, you know, they go on to a new show and, you know, they really enjoy themselves and then the show finishes. So it's kind of like, oh, you know, that would have been really good, but we've been doing it for a long time now. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in life, it's surprising the moments that make you cry. What, what were the things that actually got you when it came to Ending Neighbours? Just yesterday was actually just actually driving away from Ramsey Street and that feeling of going, oh, wow, I'll never be there again. You know, because that's just weird if I just go back there and stand in the court by myself. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> but it's also, you know, kind of almost like there's this love-hate relationship because it has been absolutely pissing down with freezing cold rain. And, you know, it's the type of weather where you kind of go, oh, my God, I'm really grateful that this is finishing. <laughs> so let's talk about your character, Toadie. He was one of the most loved and longest surviving characters on the show. I'm old enough to remember when you first hit the frame and you had that trademark curly hair up in a ponytail with the, most importantly, the undercut shaved around the back. Very 1990s. Oh, thank you. You're the, you're the only, you're, you know, one of the very few people that actually calls it correctly. Yeah. It wasn't a mullet. It was an undercut. Yeah. Yeah. I know it. So Toadie's success was largely about you and your choices as an actor, but what else was it about Toadie do you think that made him so loved and stayed in the series so long? I would literally just see what I could get away with and what I thought was fun and, you know, tried to convince the directors and everybody else that this was a really good idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a cheeky and, sense. I think, I think I know what you're talking about. I always thought that if I find this entertaining, well, then hopefully the viewers will find it entertaining. And if I find this really boring, I'm sure that the audience feels exactly the same way. So that's kind of how I attacked the the storylines. And, and if I did find it boring, it was like, well, I'm finding it boring. What else can I do to this to actually make it, you know, interesting? So to be honest, I don't know why production kept me around for so long. I don't know why people like the character so much. I think it's the eternal loser and <laughs> you just kind of want to see the eternal loser. I, I mean, that's an important. Let's say, let's yeah. work on the language a bit there. Losers, a bit harsh. Toadie's our friend. That's our mate you're nah, talking about he's, there. He's an eternal loser. And see, that's the, that's the endearing quality about him is that he's the person that you would least expect to win and you kind of really want him to win. Yeah. And then when he does win, something happens like he drives his wife off a cliff or, you know, his wife dies of cancer or, you know, so it's, he's like the eternal loser. <laughs> yeah, and so relatable at the same time. I sort of like that contrast you, you paint of you sort of pushing the, the edges and the cheekiness of the character, but he also just grew up over those years and went through all those, those life changes that we all go through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe people see themselves in the character as well. You know, I say he's also the eternal loser, but he's also incredibly lucky, I guess. So he gets wins. So, you know, I suppose that's, you know, people see that in themselves and, you know, kind of hope that they'll get wins as well. In a long-running show like this, what's the relationship between the actors and the script writers like? Are you walking into the writer's room with ideas and then from a career point of view on a personal level, are you trying to get them to keep your character in the show or are you begging them to write you out or how does that relationship work? And, and were you feeding ideas into the writing room? I'm going to let you in on a really big secret. You that, wrote the show. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you would come up with story ideas, but you could always go into the story room and, and say, hey, this is an idea. And it wouldn't be necessarily that your character would get it. They might go, oh, that's a really good idea and we'll use it for somebody else. Uh. But when it always came up to contract time, what I would actually do, because early on in the piece, a lot of people kind of got, you know, fired because the reasoning was, 
oh, we don't know what else to do with your character. We've kind of feel like we've run our, you know, run our race with your character. So when it would come up to contract time, I would actually go into the writing room and go, hey, I've got these great ideas and give them, you know, like a 10 storyline ideas. And so that they could always say, oh, yeah, we could do that. We could do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was never that excuse of, oh, we don't know what to do with your character. (laughs) So maybe that's also why I get, (laughs) why I hung around. (laughs) Yeah, well, that throws open the question of, I guess, your career and where it goes next and, and what it's like to spend so long working on one show and be so famous for one character, which I imagine is a little bit of a double edged sword. On one side, you've had this great ongoing job for many years and you're so famous in Australia and the UK, but you're so framed by that character. How does this work for your career from here? Well, I don't know, really. (laughs) I've seen people come in and go over the last 27 years and when they leave, I always think, oh, wow, they're going off on, you know, their adventure. So now I feel like now it's actually my time to go off on my adventure. And I don't know what that's going to be, you know. I might not ever work again. Um, Hmm. People might not hire me. So, you know, if that's the case, well, then that's okay. I'm really happy building farm fences and driving (laughs) excavators and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not attached to it. I actually never wanted to be an actor. Right. Um, I wanted to be a pilot. So, and, you know, now with COVID, there's no chance of me becoming a pilot because there's so many really good ones out of work. (laughs) Mm. Um, I'm actually just kind of excited by that idea of just kind of seeing what will actually come or what won't come and, you know, just not kind of being attached to having to make it work. I would really love to play a bad, evil guy. Um, Yes, wash off all that sort of like kind underdog sort of image that you've been so stained with. Well, yes and no, because what I would really like to do is play a really screwed up evil character and make the audience like him. Like I've had so much script through my hands that I'm not being egotistical in this aspect. I'm really highly skilled at what I do now. Yeah, you are um, match fit more than, you know, so many actors go in and out of work. You have been there every day doing the push-ups, sit-ups, doing the work. Yeah. So in terms of being able to kind of create characters and manipulate story. and <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And manipulate audiences because that's actually what it's all really about is being able to manipulate an audience and get the audience to actually feel things. Well, I could sort of see you coming in from Yabby Creek across the Summer Bay as the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can be Alf Stewart's long lost son, Ralph Stewart. <laughs> Ralph Stewart. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, yeah. Flame and mongrel, Alf. You stole my lingo. It was me. <laughs> Your mongrel will kick you backside from here to Yabby Creek. That was Ryan Maloney. I cannot wait for him to turn up as Ralph Flamin Stewart, Alf's bastard love child. And I guess as much as we were talking earlier about why Neighbours came to an end, it's also worth talking about how long it lasted. And I guess part of it is that like any good art, it allows you to reflect back on your own life. And for so many people across so many decades, that's what Neighbours did. All right, tomorrow... In your podcast feed from the briefing will be the weekend briefing with Jamila Rizvi. Jamila, who have you got on? This weekend, I am chatting with Sophie Keisha, who would be known to a lot of people as The Young Mummy, which was her former Instagram account's name. She is a incredible influencer who has a tremendous following online and is also just an incredibly fascinating person. 
She was a kid in a rush, right? Like she got married young, she fell in love young, she had kids young. She grew this sort of public presence as a young mum. She's now released a, a book and it is called Then There Was Her and it's all about the more recent years of her life and how everything else led up to that. She has left her previous marriage. Uh, she's on very good terms with her former husband and she has found new love and I think also some new love for herself. That sounds corny, but she really has found a place of contentment, I think. This is an episode that no one will want to miss. Yeah, I've seen that book on the shelves, actually, in the biography section um, next to mine. A, a very different story and a very compelling one. I know it's selling very well. Look forward to that interview on the weekend briefing, and we'll catch you for the Queen's Birthday episode on Monday. Bye. Bye.